0: Welcome to the Platform to Perform podcast, the podcast for athletes, coaches, and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with the platform to perform. I'm your host as always, Todd Davidson, and on episode 16 of the Platform to Perform podcast, I have senior strength and conditioning coach at Measure, Validate and Perform, and uh, scholars S&C coach for London Broncos, Mike Urker. Myself and Mike know each other from our days studying a masters at Middlesex University and also work together during our time at an all-girls school at Down House. Uh, based on today's conversation, you're gonna understand how to interpret what is put on social media, how to communicate with athletes when they're going through an injury crisis, the importance of physical literacy, not just for elite athletes, but for the nation's future, how to avoid passive negativity, and finally, misconceptions with long-term athletic development. I really hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Let's get into it. So I'm joined today by Mike Erker of MVP performance. Before we get into how we know each other, if you just want to give the listeners, uh, an intro to your background and we'll kickstart with why do you do what you do? Um, so firstly
1: has to come through enjoyment. I really, really enjoy um, the variety that comes with SNC, and uh, c particularly um, working with different age groups at the moment. So the variety that comes with that, and um, just mainly the fact that it's not a desk job is where I've always led from. So always follow what you enjoy um, through university. And then coming up from there, um, just the pleasure of seeing someone get better. Specifically, so a lot of SNC coaches probably always wanted to be an athlete haven't quite got there so next best thing is to make someone else achieve their dream instead of you
0: absolutely so describe to the listeners what you're doing at the moment because we obviously know each other from our masters but you're we've gone in slightly different directions so if you just give almost a reader's digest of how you've got to what you're doing at the moment uh so
1: how i got to would be uh, sports science at Bangor University, undergrad, and then that's led me uh, almost got to the point where I was caught in whether to follow the nutrition route or S&C route. Um, ended up choosing S&C for various different reasons, and um, which is where obviously we met each other at Middlesex uh, back in 2015. Uh, within that time, did an, an internship with London Broncos, and then following on from that, went back home to my parents, did some private coaching and then met you again at the boarding school that we worked at, Um, did two years there, um, coaching uh, a bit of hockey and obviously a bit of S&C and then now I'm working for a company called Project MVP where we're travelling the country doing fitness testing at different schools and sports clubs and unis. Um, We're looking at giving people an insight into where their baseline is, where their strengths and where their areas of improvement might lie and we're trying to support them in their athletic journey towards any success that they might look for. So we might lead them towards the sport that they currently enjoy and help them focus their attention towards that. If they have no idea, then we might give them some ideas on uh, what's around them, how we might be able to help. So it's kind of a little bit of talent idea, a little bit of pathway work, um,
0: and then a lot of fitness testing. Excellent. I'll, we'll dive into the MVP stuff later in the podcast, but just because obviously we've both had our own respective experiences with internships, and I know internships get a bit of a bad rap from uh, certain corners of the SNC world. So my first question is how firstly, how necessary do you think s and C internships are, and if they could be improved upon? in any way, how would you improve them, bearing in mind the experiences that you've gone through? Um, wouldn't uh,
1: necessarily, well, I was gonna say, I don't necessarily just necessity, but that, if you could get the paid, I don't think you need an internship to do, to, if you can get paid work and go and get paid work, I don't think you would stop yourself from applying because you haven't done an internship and others have. Um, but certainly that's the current route that everyone everyone seems to have to take it's that you can't get a job because you haven't got experience the only way of getting the experience that someone else hasn't got is to find yourself and battle yourself into an internship Um, so I think the experiences that I got personally almost moulded who I am as a coach and I was able to take that experience and that confidence that came from the coaching exposure that I got has really really helped me so I think a lot of internships vary. I think if you if you were an internship at a super high up level straight off the bat, I obviously, this is not speaking from experience here, so I struggle to know what, what they give you for you to then have the trial and error that isn't just putting out cones and counting shirts and a lot of the dog's body jobs. Whereas I think if you manage to bag an internship at a lower level where there's less staff and you're actually more needed and there's less on the line, so then they're more willing to give you the opportunity to, do something, give you the feedback, give you the exposure to improve. Yeah, I think that's where the value would come. But you can't particularly pick and choose your internships when they're hard to come by and hard to get onto, even if you find a few. So yeah, I think There's, yeah, grab what you can get, and then reflect on the
0: experiences you've got, and then build upon that. I think. So this this might sound like a bit of a uh, deliberately awkward question, but let's say I'm fresh out of uni and I've got a choice. I can. Uh, earn money as a paid as a PT uh, down the local gym, or I or I can get an unpaid internship with, let's say, um, uh, a League One or League Two equivalent rugby club, or I can get an internship, or have to be good enough to be offered an internship at say a top level organisation. So I don't know uh, the FA English Institute of Sport. So three options: either paid work as a PT. Uh, internship with a lower level club or organisation or an internship with a top organisation, I can only pick one of those three. What would you go for, given the experiences that you've had? So given the
1: experiences I had, I would probably choose the middle option. PT work comes down. Part of the issue I've had with the latter half of my career so far, which is, of jumped straight into um, the work at the boarding school where we're paving our way through a new project and we're having to design that ourselves and reflect upon it and you've not had that person higher up the hierarchy to challenge you of those ideas. So going straight into PT work, you're going to have to go with what you think's best and then the client's not even less than you so then you don't have to have the whereabouts to reflect on that yourself, potentially without any feedback. And you've got obviously the level that, we, that I had a positive experience at which was obviously the middle order um, and I think if you were to ask me that question before I'd done the internship I would always choose option three which was the highest opportunity EIS situation just through the the idea of that yeah getting the experience and getting the feedback off of the most knowledgeable people in our field so, so, so you can seek that knowledge and whether you, you can get in there and ask the right questions and you're happy to gain the knowledge conversations rather than gain that experience through coaching um, and then take your understanding and then apply that trade elsewhere potentially would be beneficial but for me physically doing it physically making those mistakes speaking to the coach being given that opportunity to try another warm-up a different way or make sure you invest in that cue why didn't that cue work etc and that's going to help you when you go if you end up back down at the, the, the school level where every cue makes a massive difference. And everyone takes that cue and they might come back to you three weeks later and go, well, you said that a while ago and the kids don't forget. And you're like, yeah. oh God, I've slipped up, slipped my tongue almost there and you've now done something wrong or different for three weeks. Whereas when you're coaching players more experienced, they might question you straight away or they go, well, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to bother. So Yeah, I think having that experience is the most
0: important part and practicing do you do you think there's a bit of a so uh, full disclaimer obviously i have done an internship at uh, the english institute of sport um but do you think there's a almost a little bit of a snobbery either when it comes to applying for jobs or people looking at jobs which obviously i know that you're now in a position where you're looking at candidates cvs but do you think there's a little bit of snobbery from some people within snc in the sense that for example Um, somebody who comes from say 10 years of personal training experience where they've trained their own clients for let's you know almost a decade uh, that would almost get looked down upon versus someone who's done six months of potentially just setting up cones but they happen to have been setting up cones at a higher organization if that makes any sense now, obviously there's a lot of context missing from that but do you think stuff experiences such as personal training uh, are often overlooked Um, tough question now isn't it yeah again
1: think about it from my experience uh, brief experience of looking at employers and employees I've I've not not looked above them and I've always spoken to them and at least given them a telephone interview because um, a lot of the situations come with you you get an issue with only employing people that are similar to you. So that no one's going to bring a variety of ideas that you might not have thought about before. So you're always going to employ um, people below you that are yourself, then you're never going to be challenged yourself and have that positive 360 degree management as some people would call it. Um, I think it does, does occur. And I think people potentially in those higher up places aren't willing to take the risk per se and have that person come into a football club who's never worked in football before unless they've got a proven track record in rugby potentially. Whereas just having that person who is super keen to learn and has had that experience working with clients for ten years, they're gonna they're gonna have more practical experience and they're gonna have worked out multiple different ways of using different equipment and working around the issues you've got with. If you're PT in a gym at peak hours, you've got to work out client can't squat because the squat rack's taken. You can't shoulder barge you weight and take them off. You're going to have to go and think of something else. And the ability to think on your feet in difficult situations is always going to stand you well in a job versus not having to think based off that internship, potentially. But i just being ready to put a cone out and being ready to start a timer. Yeah. So, yeah, I've I've personally looked down to that level. and I don't look down upon them because... They've still, they've still sat an exam, they've still proven competency whether it's less rigorous, yes and obviously it depends what course they do, which I would then look into a little bit more, because as we know you can do a very brief PT course and come from any background, but I think if you were looking at someone yes, as you said, with 10 years experience then you've definitely got to give them a shot
0: Yeah, um, and I, I like what you've sort of touched upon there because I, sometimes I find it ironic that s coaches will try and say to parents or to coaches who might say stuff like, oh, have you ever worked with this sport before? And then you'll try and explain that sports are more similar than different. Yet when you see these uh, job adverts, for example, for, I don't know, working in football, working in rugby, etc., and it'll say, what experience have you got in football or rugby? Even though, ironically, as SNC coaches, we try and describe the sports as uh, more similar. So if you were in a position to recreate an internship experience for somebody so you've mentioned that for example you might have the position you might have the situation where yes you're doing an internship at an elite elite level but you're not actually having that much responsibility versus for example you're in an employment whether you're a PT or similar to what we had at uh, the private school where you have no one to sort of refer to and sort of say oh what do you think of this how would you design what you would define as, I don't know, the best internship experience that you could give uh, a newly uh, qualified practitioner or somebody who perhaps hasn't had that coaching experience?
1: Um, I think I would definitely start with um, introducing structure. So they have a few set roles to begin with that, for example, in my set role at the start of um, Broncos, I was on uh, skin folds, weighing boys in, doing the protein shakes and the ice baths. So, I had to make sure that I was done at X, Y, Z timings, and that gave me the structure and it gave me an understanding to the rigidity of a professional athlete's day. And so, I certainly follow that route and heart the same way to give them an understanding, and then gradually drip feed in that freedom to go, just go and try that, see how you feel with the warm up, and give them enough notice. I think the first time, so first time I got given a warm-up I got given five minutes notice and obviously straight away a little bit of stage fright and basically just copied what I remembered the previous guy had done and it wasn't my warm-up it was just what I remembered the day before's warm-up was and obviously players straight away I so, uh, I think I'd like to in the first one They have the confidence to deliver yeah um, and then certainly have those set feedback times where they can feedback to you because I don't think, even now, I've never above feedback from anyone and I've always prided feedback and I think them looking in from the outside as a new intent, they can definitely provide feedback to you on how your operation might be able to change but then they might not see it in a different way so opening them up to give you that feedback for you then to say... Hey, well, we don't do it because of this is going to teach them the reason why it's not done that way but if you're never given the opportunity to say anything then they're never going to bring that up to understand it more
0: no i think that i think that point's spot on i think that to me hits at the heart of why it's too easy to see some people doing stuff on social media and think oh well, this is rubbish but actually by doing that you've just seen what they do do what you haven't seen is why they haven't done something or for example, and I've certainly been guilty of this, where you think, well, Jesus, you know, they should be doing this, this, and this, but you don't realise that it doesn't work for or they've tried it for whatever reason. Um, one of the things I've got down in my notes, which I wanted to talk a bit more about, uh, is your time at Broncos and the culture at the club. So one of the things I've got jotted down is uh passive negativity. So can you elaborate a little bit more on um what you mean by that? Yeah.
1: So Um, in a single sentence passive negativity is one person coming into the changing room or the office or anywhere uh, within the vicinity of the club and expressing negativity whether it's you've got a blocked nose it's rained on the way in when you cycled in it's looking a little bit colder than the forecast was or you've got an achy knee from yesterday or whatever so as soon as you raise that someone next to you who was feeling great then goes, oh yeah, I do have a bad hip actually. And suddenly everyone turns up to training and goes out on the field 10% less than where they were at when they sat down to put their socks on. So it's just encouraging the elimination of that. And once again, they have set periods of time where you can go and speak to the coach one-on-one and raise those issues. But it's not to just make those issues vocal to 35 players or even amongst the staff. It It was forbidden for us within the time of training to come in and be like, Oh, not, not sure how I'm feeling tonight. Like there's one guy I missed and I've now got fifteen instead of ten. Like, crack on, get on with it. You've got fifteen instead of ten. Get over the hurdle. It wasn't yeah. for then someone else to go, Ah, oh, we've got fifteen instead of ten. Oh, how am I gonna work that out? Like it's obviously in the planning and it's in the fact that you've got to bring everyone else's spirits up so you all go out there and you present yourself in a positive manner so people who are feeling down and who have, haven't mentioned anything get that lift or they come to you from the side and they speak to you quietly about it if they are feeling, in a certain way it was just yeah the whole don't mention it in a public space at the risk of others coming down
0: yeah and I think that's almost the point that some people miss uh, when you talk about creating that team environment and it's almost like oh, well, we just turn into cheerleaders and don't worry if there is a problem with your hip because if you think good about it, you'll be fine. Obviously, you are acknowledging those problems. You're just not doing it in front of everybody and letting that culture then spread. Um, So obviously, whilst you were doing your internship, uh, you are also doing the Masters that we've uh, mentioned. How important or how not important do you think a Masters is in this day and age of trying to get... um, either paid work, whether it's with an organisation or through setting up your own company. How important was that master's process for you? And is there anything you would have changed about it if you could?
1: Um, I would say that the master's was one of the key moments of my life, I think. I couldn't praise that course hardly enough with see Bish and Turner, what they've done to design that course I thought was superb. I. As I said in undergrad in North Wales, there's Bangor City Football Club and there's Carnarvon Town Rugby Club a bit of RGC for those that know their rugby as well. Um, that was probably the limit of the experience you could get within SNC and sports performance in the area. And that obviously then required a car to drive up to thirty miles to get to the club on a, a weeknight and things like that. So that being said, didn't get any experience other than being captain of the hockey team and as part of that having to learn to coach on a monday night with obviously your peers and things like that so um going to london my idea was if i go to london there's enough density of clubs around there i will get experience obviously ended up at broncos as part of that experience but i feel like i grew as a person as much as i did in the three years of uni in the one year of that master's course and i learned more about critical thinking how to critique papers understand science choose the good stuff, negate the bad stuff. Don't just be like, oh, that was a waste of time if I've read a paper that doesn't affect my practice because it's the fact that it hasn't affected your practice means that you're not going to go down a rabbit hole of just trying to chase that, what it says. So learning to take a step back and really understand everything. And yeah, I think the corrective exercise module didn't have any knowledge of that prior to going in. And that's one of the most integral parts of taking a look at someone initially and the knowledge of gained from that was really really helpful so I personally think that the Masters wherever you do it, if you're a distance learner from St Mary's or some of the other courses around the country I think just getting that exposure and having that next level of thinking and understanding the science is really really important.
0: Yeah and like I said I echo your comments like I know that some people for example um, went on a CPD at the weekend and they said well you spend so much finance finance on for example furthering your understanding of the science what would happen if you did it in the business sense um but i completely agree i uh, we both obviously managed to publish our masters papers which we'll get on to uh, in a little while um but one again potentially awkward question that i've not written down that i want to ask you is so when i was at the eis one of the reasons why they said that they wanted someone with a degree and or masters wasn't because they cared about the intricacies of their sports science knowledge, but was because they just felt like a degree, regardless of what background gave people a bit of a bullshit filter. So, uh, me and you obviously send each other stuff on social media about whatever this person or that person's doing. So my question is, what advice would you give people in terms of having a bullshit filter who perhaps have an interest in sport or exercise, but for example, don't have master's degree whatever
1: um i think from a most basic level i guess there's a we come across people on social media all the time and it comes from finding someone that you trust and obviously how do you gain that trust you just have to follow them initially and then start looking at looking at the comments if you've not got any background i think social media is a really really good place if you know what you're looking for and to know what you're looking for, I think you need to find find someone who then the comments aren't basically slating them or if they are slating them, look at the person who's slating it and see if they have a reputable following or put out material that seems legit. Then if they're posting research alongside what they're saying, then obviously you take a look at that research. See if you agree with it. Spend the time going through the methods and things like that. It's going to be a degree and a master's has taken us four slash five years so if you haven't done that time then you should be able to invest the time in looking through the papers at a very detailed level and questioning people and you might you might question someone and get sat down but that's a learning opportunity in itself but i think for us like throw a couple of names out there we'll see quinn hennock and mike isretel and a few other people on the nutrition side of the world, like Martin McDonald and things, they've got very popular on social media and people that we've learned to trust what they say and they might call out other people that you also respect, but then you've got that middle ground. You haven't taken yourself sort of down the the PhD route where you then so strongly believe in one thing that any opposition is... And we're sat in the middle going, oh, I can see that point, I can see that point. So I think... Yeah, I think you've got to start just by looking, gaining an interest in just seeing what's out there and then read into the science and then try and go, OK, well, Joe Wicks, what's his background? And then if he hasn't got a degree, or maybe he has, I've not obviously delved into his life too hard, but you might go, OK, well, he's not gained his experience from somewhere else but that's a reputable place whereas someone else has got a PhD so okay well they've learned to filter the bullshit and then they're filtering it out for me I'll read on so I think yeah it's just a lot of it is trial and error on social media and people would certainly believe in stuff, the low carb high fat following is like almost tribal if you disagree with it then someone's followers are going to come and attack you until you shut but I think the SC world's a little bit more placid
0: at times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I I totally agree. I think that's, for me, that's the difficulty is, and uh, this is something obviously we've discussed uh, off air, but for example, uh, both of us spent the best part of, I think you, actually you might wrap yours up a little bit quicker than I did, but it took me two years to go from a uh, master's dissertation being handed in to it then being published whereas as you said the potentially dangerous thing about social media is if I have an opinion and a massive following then I can put that up instantaneously like I for example I know I sent you a picture of a sponsored athlete the other day saying about the caffeinated drink and it kicking in just as she'd finished their stretches and obviously people see that and because it's a supposed reputable source they jump on that obviously more because it's visually more appealing than say sitting down and critiquing the method of a method of a study um, anyway what I'm trying to say with that waffle is that basically be careful of where something comes from and can you determine whether or not it's a quote quote fact or an opinion uh, which especially nutrition studies is even harder to do um, so you said you were torn between nutrition essency which are obviously fairly easy or you can see how easily those uh fields would interact with each other um something you always banter me for is having minimal interests outside of strength and conditioning so my question to you is when was the last time that you learned something from outside the realms of s and c that has influenced what you do inside the gym
1: inside the gym or inside SNC practice uh
0: inside SNC practice let's not we won't go so niche as to say the gym um, would I, have...
1: I think it's got to come down to um, working in business now and my two well one one of my bosses is an ex professional rugby player and the other one has only ever worked in um, business and recruitment and he's obviously part of the business without the sports knowledge, but is there to drive the business forward. So I've gained a lot of him in terms of human communication and how to deal with people, how to deal with, um, requests and things like that. So something might not be going to plan, but making sure that you can, um, deliver the right information at the right time to people who um, may or may not be getting upset. I think that, and then you can take that into s really, really well with, um, maybe a player's got injured and you don't just come in and go, right mate, you've snapped your knee, we'll see you next nine months you're going to be with a physio, like there's a way of delivering that information and having those people skills and going in and speaking about, as we said like the positives, ignoring that passive negativity like as soon as you tell them something you go, okay well you're going to be on this, this is the situation with some of it, but we're going to be and, and this, this and this and they can go into Tinder and be like yeah, I'll be back in the gym next week. I'll, just, I'll be in with the, in with you. Like team spirit's going to be up. I'll be there, but um, won't be joining them with the same sets and reps as you. So, like I'll be on the side doing my own thing, but I'll be I'll be there and like delivering that and just being like, yeah, that people side. You obviously learn a lot in S and C, but then in business, it's the next level. Like people making make or break, life-changing deals and based off their engagement with people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, one of the, the question I always open my podcast with is uh, why do you do what you do? Just because in the book, Start With Why, Simon Sinek says that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And that just, as you said, comes down to that uh, personal relationship. So how do you balance, for example, let's say I'm your athlete and I don't know, I snapped my Achilles or I blow my ACL. How do you balance, for example, This is everything that you know, but at the moment, this is how much the athlete needs to know. So how do you keep them informed whilst equally not taking a sledgehammer to their sort of hopes and dreams and aspirations, if that makes any sort of sense, whilst still being truthful with them?
1: Um, I think initially it needs to come down to sort of managing expectations and be like, you're yes you're not going to play for a couple of months looking at how it looks right now um but you don't need to tell them like the details of it's like your Achilles has snapped off the bone and you're going to need surgery that's going to be booked in in 3 weeks time like that information can come or you answer those questions if they're asked but i think straight up you just it's got to be uh here's the downside. this is what's happened um but we'll get you in as soon as we can on the upper bodies we're going to make sure you stay fit we'll do some conditioning we'll make sure you're in with this Um, and you've just got to keep them keep them managed and then when they start to ask those questions about okay so when's the when's the first on feet day Uh, if you go back to that Andy Murray documentary if anyone's seen that online the way he's dealt with his injury is unbelievable and the fact that he's had so many setbacks but the S&C coach has just come and gone yeah, let's try and see how we can get on with this. And there's one of the one of them that the S&C coach goes, well, he felt great, so we let him go. Like, when they feel good, you've got to let him go. And he went and played the tournament, got a couple of wins under his belt, and then it came back and the niggle started. So they went back to not square one, but he was absolutely buzzing for the next couple of months because they'd let him go and do that. And I think you've got to listen to your athlete and if they're... Yeah, you know, feeling good, then push it on. But don't just take the reins off. But yeah. Yeah. I think you've got to tease you've got to tease in tease in all positivity all the time and um especially with kids. Uh, we've obviously experienced some pretty major injuries related to either horse riding falls or ski accidents and things like that. So uh, people come back in and the peer pressure of school life where you can't do PE lessons where you've got nine a week, potentially for some, some schools or whether you're extra quick and things like that. Yeah. You know, you've got to manage expectations. Go, okay. Well, we can't be doing this, but we're going to find something else that you enjoy. and Someone might go and really begin to enjoy just like the mental toughness required to complete battle rope circuits and things like that. And give them that target to build on. And they'll soon be going from, Oh, well, battle ropes was easy. Then going into like, a heat chamber if we go I think in the Man City documentary if we're going to pull another one is Benjamin Mendy when he's out injured and they've got him in a 33 degree heat chamber doing ropes, cycle sprints this and that whatever and he's like well 80th minute of a game is going to be easy compared to this and he's already reflecting on how this is benefiting him not the fact that he's not out on the grass I think that's yeah integral to the psychology of injury I think
0: be- Yeah and as you said connecting it ultimately to the end goal because it's so easy to just consider the physical limitations. But as you said, if it's a professional athlete you're dealing with or even, I don't know, uh, someone, a school uh, a school athlete who, for example, as you said, is used to playing sport nine, ten times a week. That's a huge part of their identity that gets lost whenever they get injured. So like, I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, and diving back into the business side of things. So obviously you work for a company. Um, measure validate and perform and you obviously gave a little bit of information in regards to the uh, talent ID setup do you want to give uh, perhaps delve into that a little bit more and for example what a day-to-day week-to-week might look for you at MVP yeah so the company
1: has been around for about 18 months now Um, we've tested uh, just over 6,000 athletes for our Six to near on sixty years old. Um, our main target market is obviously the eleven to eleven to eighteen secondary school, high school, whatever you want to say, um, age group. Obviously, the main reason for that is those that are too young. So in that primary school bracket, they've got so much growth left that they might be good then, but they've got so much time to mature and either lose their skills or gain more skills and things like that, or the person you've not spotted at the time. Whereas in that 11 to 18 bracket you've got the ability to um, delve into height predictions maturity status um, repeated visits are starting to come in now The so schools are coming back to us and you can look at the pre-post testing and see if I had one kid since last May we tested last week he's gained nine kilos and he's gone up in gone up in height but an absolute mile his strength's gone up and his speed's gone up but his body fat's come down so then you can start seeing those natural changes in someone, um, I'm going, okay, well, he's onto something. And it's obviously, it's never going to be a snapshot. We're not going to ring someone up after one testing day and be like, you're the next best thing. I'm going to give the EIS a ring right now. Right, that's, not how, that's not how we're going to work. But, um, yeah, there's a mix of tests to do with speed, agility, fitness, strength, jump, um, to give a good rounded look in at someone. It's obviously a little bit more team sport focused. Um, It's done in a sports hall, so we're limited by space and limited by space in the van to be able to carry around some VO2 max testing equipment. But obviously that's not going to fit with the volume that we're at. So we're doing sort of whole classes at a time and they're going going around the room and completing all the tests and stuff. So we're taking that information. We're looking and helping the PE teachers either... GCC kids, they're getting the whole coursework side of things, like the pre-post-testing and with their own program. They're getting to see how that's actually changed with really valid gold standard equipment. And other teachers are getting an insight into sort of where the group averages are. So we'll provide a school with, oh, you're really fast, but no one's really got that much stamina and fitness like right off the yo-yo test. So maybe you should look into doing a little bit more fitness or if that's not their goal, then they can take that with a pinch of salt. But um, other places you might say, okay, well, everyone can go really well in a straight line, but your agility scores are miles down. So some of that's clearly technique based and that's obviously off a visual interpretation from us on the day. Some of it might be strength based. If you can compare their relative strength score with their straight line speed and then they can't use the strength to absorb and reapply that force to become agile. There's loads of different reasons why obviously but we're giving that the staff an insight into where they might be able to adapt their PE lessons and provide a bit more focus to make people a bit more of a rounded athlete as well. It's not all about elite or nothing it's making everyone a little bit physically better and helping make the country a little bit healthier because we're obviously we're up to 6,000 athletes now with plenty more to come um, day-to-day we're looking at doing as you said what what does my week look like we're between three schools a week at the moment yeah so main and base based but um yeah i get a really really good picture and obviously at some point we're looking to publish this information and it'll be probably one of the first studies out there that's got 10,000 athletes and we can go and piece together the average in the UK for an 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, and then any coach can go okay well compared to this entire cohort around the country, this kid's in the top 2% or is two standard deviations ahead or whatever Like, and you can just pull up on this data and make your own decisions based off the legwork that MVP have done.
0: I mean it sounds like there's almost certainly a PhD in that for sure for somebody
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're keen on numbers and you're good with data analysis and coding and all that sort of stuff, then (laughs) get in touch. Jump right in.
0: Um, One of the, well, a couple of things you said there that I really liked. Uh, The first one was, is one of my pet hates, is the misconception either from parents um, or technical coaches or whoever that S&C is for the elite. Um, and the second one you said, which I want you to, I'm gonna ask you to expand upon, uh, is a potential misconception from parents in the sense that, for example, you'll test the kid and then immediately the test scores come in and you're ringing up these Olympic organisations. So, apart from that, or maybe if you wanna delve into that a little bit more, what do you think the biggest misconception is, either whether it's parents, technical coaches, PE teachers, whatever demographic you wanna use? What do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to either talent ID or long-term athletic development?
1: The biggest misconception is definitely getting a 14-year-old who gets their results back and the uh, top 3%, 2%, top 10% on their various scores. And that kid rightly thinks he's going to make it. And then the other kid who gets bottom half goes oh, well, there's no point in trying that, I'm not going to get there. And it's that, as you've literally just said, like they're receiving their first-time snapshot. It's basically, the first time we visit a school is clearly baseline testing. We're telling you where you're at now and giving you an opportunity to see where you're good and where you excel and then where your areas of improvement are. And that's what we always describe them as, is areas of improvement, not here's your strengths and weaknesses, it's here's your strengths and areas of improvement to become a more rounded athlete. And it's... Yeah, I think the biggest thing is from coaches historically, uh, they look at a 12 year old tennis player and they're already five foot nine, and they go, oh, we'll have him. And then uh, come 14, the five foot three kid's now five foot ten. He's developed late, but hasn't got a shot because they go, oh, he's not proved himself at an under 12 and under 13 age group. Why would I choose him over the kid who's been there two years? And then suddenly he starts beating him in friendlies, and the next minute you've chosen the wrong guy because you looked and you've stuck with that decision, I think there's got to be an element of being fickle and being like, okay, let's clean slate every time and see how you get on. There's got to be obviously a point of choice, but if you go and listen to um, one of Ross Tucker's podcasts on this, they they talk about a lot of Olympians, the medalists are late, typically haven't found their sport until... 17 to 19 years old whereas a lot of the other finalists have been doing it since 14 15 so you can see that a late arrival in the sport is allowing them to peak at the point that matters at olympic games but so then the medalists are coming in they're doing adding the variety playing football playing tennis this and that whatever then moving into the sport because they've found it late or enjoyed it or something else has happened to them and i played hockey because i broke my leg and didn't want to play football and get kicked in the leg that hurt anymore and that was a forced change whereas I could have obviously chosen anything the hockey's then given me the hand-eye coordination to get to a standard in tennis to play against you at the school and enjoy ourselves and like that and just being able to take those opportunities and yeah try different things rather than just feel like you're set in stone for life like oh I was never athletic at school so I'm never going to go to the gym for the rest of my life like that's how a lot of people think and speak, and you, you meet a lot of people who are down that route. There, well, there are some that aren't. Like, I was never sporty at school, but once the pressure of PE was gone away, I started to find something that I liked. And there's a few people either side of that, but I think we need to encourage everyone to pursue something. And once again, going back to why I do what I do, find something they enjoy.
0: Yeah, um, and there's a couple of things that have emerged from that that I want to ask you about. Um, the first one is. You mentioned, for example, you might have an athlete who finishes in the uh, bottom half of the testing or whatever and just thinks, oh, well, what's the point then? And this athlete may previously have had, you know, may have had no inclination as to where they were and they might have loved sport. So my first question is, um, in an ideal world, if the tests were valid, reliable, accurate, what psychosocial metrics would you love to include in your assessment battery assuming that they were somehow valid and reliable Um,
1: definitely be what do you play at the moment what would you like to play and just get an understanding of I play football for the school because the school quote unquote make me or I feel like I should or my friends play football so I play football or I don't play any sport because I'm not in the friendship group of the people who do play football, as a lot of the cases may be. So, whether it's you haven't sat down at home and gone, oh, well, I'm quite good at that, why don't I just go and try running? And then just go out and start running and you see track and field or whatever's something that you like, or you go and try and swimming. And I think having something just to ask them, what have you thought about? What haven't you thought about? And then Provide them with that whole um, is it BBC inspired. It might be where you can just click on and be like, yeah. find out near you where there's a boxing club, or find out near you there's a kayaking club, and you see that's a great place to start. I think what motivates you would be another one, and then sort of a personality one. So are you extrovert, introvert? Because I think you're obviously going to get both in in all sports, but typically the team sport people are more extroverted, and sometimes, often more than not, than the there's other sports like running where you do a lot of training on your own potentially if you're especially a distance runner. So the introverted side of things might be more suited to you. Whereas maybe you've got to be an extrovert to be a boxer because that eccentricity sells tickets. And then you need that to become a bit like to, for the business side of it. So I think you could find sports based off personality and I might help them find what their body's suited to. And if they're not going to go pro, and it's not like you must play tennis because your arm length and your shin length is suited to tennis, like yeah. <laughs> go and let them find out and just swing swing a swing a bat or hit a table tennis racket. like. Oh yeah. Unless he, you're obviously going down the pro going down the pro route, then yeah, you might look at Phelps' <laughs> biomechanics and be like, Okay, well, he's got short legs and ridiculously long arms, he's got size thirteen feet. Like he's built for the sport that he's found. And I think Without without going down this horrendous rabbit hole of like Casta Semenya. <laughs> my sort of take on that is that uh, she's lucked out and found the sport that she's physiologically perfect for, and then she's being punished for it. So she's a, she can she has a lot of muscle, she can train really hard, she can recover quite well, and she's found the sport that she's designed for. If and that's the same with Usain Bolt. He's twitchy. He's tall he's got a ridiculous long stride length, but he's got the cadence to match everyone else. he became heralded as the all time great because he's found the sport that he's perfect for like he might have gone and as he always dreamed of played football but never made it and caster and Man, might have gone and been a south african I don't know cricketer women's cricket and then never never succeeded because that's not the sport that she's designed for, but there's always those people who are the greatest of all time because they've lucked out on the sport that their bodies physiologically suit really well.
0: Yeah. And as you said, it is a, it is a massive, uh, massive rabbit hole. And obviously one we've spoken a lot about, uh, off air, um, without meaning to sort of steer the conversation back to something you wrote, right, but you previously said, um, you gave the example of people who, for example, for example, uh, will get to the gym or won't get to the gym because they're like, Oh, well, I was always rubbish at PE. I'm not very athletic. Um, what do you think would need to change in terms of how physical education is delivered currently in order to try and minimise that happening? Like you mentioned, for example, that you broke your leg, but obviously you were, you were still physically literate enough to pick up another sport and do it to a recreational standard. So what do you think needs to change about the PE curriculum in order to make it so that kids leave their school? being physically literate and being able to pick up a sport of their choosing to a reasonable standard?
1: Um, yeah, it certainly comes into improving basic physical literacy, which was a massive goal of ours, um, teaching, and letting the kids understand how to move and that's... Um, you might have seen online like teaching people how to fall is really important because that's going to save an injury and save that time out of a sport but yeah teaching people how to move and then once you can move well as you know you can adapt yourself to other sports but I think the key point has got to be or a make that fun B, evidence the end goal the kids aren't going to understand why they're walking down the line on their tiptoes in first lesson but they're soon going to be doing plyometrics in four weeks time and like the introduction to jumping and landing and that's cool we're doing rabbit hops over a bench that then becomes a a box jump which becomes a whatever else drop jump into a slap your hand on the wall and get like everything has to be like shown towards like this works for this reason in sport and and the people who might not be sporty then almost become sporty because they've learned how to move well or when they get a little bit older so say that that happened from age 11 through 13 so year seven eight um they hit year nine when there's a little bit more sport going on there's, um and then they actually enjoy it more because they're not quote unquote bottom of the class or they're not playing in the f team or something like that like people are more likely to enjoy the sport that's on offer because I can see both sides from us you can't go out and teach 30 sports a week or else no one's going to get better because they're not going to then see that first sport (laughs) until the second year that they're at school Well, if you go around in two 30 week cycles or whatever like you can't go and teach every sport under the sun but you've got to be able to teach someone to adapt to the sport and as soon as trampoline club becomes available they can go and bounce around and learn how to flip on a trampoline and then as soon as the summer comes and they can go and join the cricket club. Like they don't want to do that because they've built the hand eye coordination through throwing and catching the ball in the winter in the sports hall. So it's certainly building those basic skills that can be introduced because the teacher certainly can't learn how to teach every sport under the sun or else the quality of the teaching is going to go down. And the student isn't going to get better by doing a sport once To just to give them an exposure to every sport to find that one kid amongst 30 is like that sport and 29 have hated it and then the next day a different one child is like one sport and 29 have hated it or else the percentage return
0: on that is pretty low whereas the percentage return on making everyone move well is going to be a lot higher Yeah and equally something that we both appreciate as sort of S&C coaches working within a school um is that you need to obviously disguise that movement, as you said, whether it's bunny hops or, you know, whatever. Um, and you can't just have, for example, a double lesson of right now, we're gonna learn to squat. Um, so my next question is, obviously we learned, well, hopefully we uh, helped the PE teachers at school we were based at learn a lot. What are the biggest things that you think SSC coaches can learn from PE teachers?
1: um it almost comes back to the the same thing i've learned from the business people which is the whole man, human beings coming into an s and c if you've only done an internship like we have you've gone from university to a professional internship where they turn up on time they turn up in the right kit they turn up knowing what they're about to do versus 30 11 year olds who are asking you the most ridiculous questions you've never thought you'd be asked in your life And just learning how to manage groups and sort of become that bossy person and order people and create efficiency within the lesson. And that efficiency with a a PE lesson where you have a curriculum to follow, you have set targets to hit, follow over into the S&C gym where you go, okay, well, how can I minimise time wastage on this? Okay, we'll make sure they all turn up and they've got, X, Y and Z lined up ready to go and the gym set up ready to go and they understand that this person's been in there and you've pre-grouped it all and like doing all the legwork beforehand and then understanding the level to reprimand as well. It's obviously for S&C at a youth level we're discussing here, but I still feel like, especially at Broncos, where I'm now working with the 14 and 15-year-olds, there's has to be an element of reprimand for various things to like nips it in the body early but I've learned through practice at two years at the school in terms of how to deliver that and you can certainly see parents out in the park that go from no don't run over there no, no no come back come back and then like the kids just unbelievably confused on what they're trying to do because the parents trying to do a different order every three seconds yeah whereas like the whole just give them an instruction and be like, okay. And if they make a different mistake, then that's fine. They haven't done the one that you've told them not to do.
0: Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, one thing we're big on um, is that SNC obviously doesn't just improve the physical qualities of an athlete or a person. Um, whether it's stuff you do at Broncos, with your own coaching, how do you look to improve the sort of human aspect of the people that you're coaching? This comes down to
1: um, learn to rather than ask a question asking a question takes up your time and their time to wait to wait to get the answer whereas uh, encouraging trial and error and then being like okay I tried this why didn't this work and then, then you might give them the answer by rewarding them at the fact that they've even tried and I've got a great example of a, Christmas coaching a few youth athletes, and um, one guy replied, Didn't do it, didn't have a dumbbell. And another guy replied, Didn't have a dumbbell, used a plate instead. Like <laughs> it's the same exercise, the same yeah. um, day. And two people have come back with two completely different opportunities to, but one succeeded, he's used the plate and gone, Well, that weighs two kilos, that weighs two kilos, I'll just use that one if that's not there. But the kid's gone, Whoa, whoa, whoa. can't do that. I've not got it. it's not right, it's not right <laughs> and then was he coming back and saying okay, well have you thought about this and suddenly they're just like, their eyes light up because they've never thought about it before but then next time they go oh, okay well I haven't, got, I haven't got my studs, I'll just use my trainers, not I haven't got my studs I can't do it and it's the whole encouraging people to say to come up to you, especially at a school and rugby club and removing the I can't do that, it's this is what's wrong, what can I do instead? And it's always that independent thought I'm in, and then you can throw it back on them. Okay, well, what have you done before that might be similar to this? And then they can answer their own question. I think the PGC term is guided discovery, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, that's the, uh, yeah. I mean, that right. could be a whole podcast in itself. But as you said, developing these young humans to think for themselves when potentially, especially in, as you said, the environments that we've been in, there's a lot of start times where the help is deliberately put in front of them and quite literally forced in front of their face. And as you said, it can sometimes work against you in the sense of that, obviously, as you said, that lad who was like, didn't have the weight, so didn't know what to do. So didn't do it. Um, in terms of, so as you said, obviously you've been at Broncos, uh, we've learned what we've learned on the masters. Um, and obviously we're both trying to continue developing with the coaches that we work with. Now, if you could spend a period of time with one coach and their athlete, or their athletes, who would you want to spend time with and why?
1: Um, I'm gonna throw out a somewhat niche reference, but it's based off another documentary I see, it's a guy called Buddy Morris. And he was the Arizona Cardinals S&C coach, and he's renowned, over in America for everything he's done there. There's a key point in that documentary where he goes, goes to the coach, I think we need to back off here. The loads are getting a little high. Boys are getting tired. Head coach goes, I ain't fucking happening. We need to win. And then obviously he's taken everything that he knows in S&C, what the coach has said, and the coach is in the wrong. And he just goes, okay, sir, and takes a step back. And he clearly has a great knowledge of managing managing coaches' expectations while managing the players. So I'm sure he would have then tailored his gym session to fit the fact that those boys have got gone too hard out on the field and he's adjusted that himself. Because the coaches... Learning off him and learning that coach, coach relationship, athlete, technical coach relationship is... I uh, was almost glorious to watch and <laughs> to look at his hatred for what he was being told, but his acceptance that that was what was going to happen plus the whole environment of American football it's a sport that I follow, it's a sport that I'm a fan of, I think it would just be fantastic to see how it all comes together because for those that don't know in the off season um, they have no contact with the club so then the players have to go out and train themselves in the off season and obviously some might let themselves go, some might get into unbelievable shape come pre-season but it's not up to the club to do any of that and then their season finishes in February the Super Bowl in two weeks time I think it is and, and they don't come back until pre-season until July so that's not like a football where you go I oh, have a holiday we'll be straight back in again you've got to have you've got to be teaching the players so much education so they can go and either do it themselves or that's where companies like Exos exist to to coach those players and, as well but have that f- to instill so much knowledge that the players can take that for almost a third of the year and then come back and you see them and you've been rewarded with the fact that they' come back in good shape because you're not allowed to contact with those players. I think that would be fantastic
0: oh yeah and as as we said touching on the social media side of things, no doubt there is several people who would love to be associated with that player and will obviously do whatever they can to be either paid by or associated with that player. You've almost, as you said, you've got to educate them to the nth degree, build those relationships and do everything you can to make sure that when they come back, they're not effectively going to lose you your job. Um, And in, in just wrapping up, if, uh, in terms of recommended resources, whether it's books, podcasts, um, anything that you like, what would be your list of most recommended resources?
1: Um, number one I think would be the Science of Sport podcast from Ross Tucker. And this is so less SNC related, more just discussing the world of sport. For you if you enjoy sport and you enjoy hearing about great analogies and really getting a good understanding about things. So the podcast recently is like what rugby can teach the world about coaching and concussion and then what what's the deal with this new night shoe? Obviously they've done one on um Castor Yeah, they've done one on, there's a new one out recently on, um, well, it used to be called um, the Female Athlete Triad. Now it's been changed to Red S, but it's basically about um, yeah, overtraining, under nutrition, what the causes of that are, eating disorders, and the whole Alberto Salazar thing with how he's um, psychologically affected the people that have worked for him underneath with all the fat shaming and stuff. So you've got a huge variety to go off on that. I think it's absolutely fantastic, and each one of them's yeah, neatly wrapped up in about an hour. Um, good, easy listening for those that are in London with us on the tube.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, if people want to reach out to you and either find out more about the work you do with MVP or just have any questions for you, how can they get in touch with you? Uh,
1: so through the MVP social media, so that's um, Project Underscore MVP and mbp projects mbp.co.uk is our website where you can have a look at more about what we do So that so well. instagram facebook twitter all on there.
0: excellent i'll get those all in the show notes um thank you very much for your time mate and uh eight, 29 minutes past six how's that for uh half six timing <laughs> perfect thank you very much mate right all the best mate and i'll speak to you soon cheers thank you folks Thank you for listening to episode 16 of the Platform to Perform podcast. If you have any questions or recommendations for future people you'd like me to interview, then get in touch with me via Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Todd Davidson P2P Coaching. Equally, if you feel like you're in a position to support the podcast, then head over to patreon.com forward slash Todd Davidson P2P Coaching. Any support is gratefully appreciated and I will catch you guys in the next episode.